passages, John the Baptist was um, a man who had hope. He believed in the coming of the Messiah. He had faith in Jesus. He sent his disciples to Jesus. But now, in that passage, he's in prison, and that's not a happy place. He's lost his joy, and it's affecting his faith and his hope. Joy is important. It's it's the... Uh, It's the, that emotional element, that, that added part that, that means our, our hope and faith is in the right thing. We have hope for our future and our faith is in the right person, and so we can be happy. You know, as, as we've been getting closer to Christmas, we're looking at these stories. You know, there's big stories that point to Jesus. There was a star in the sky and prophecies and but we're looking at individual lives that point to Jesus. The birth of a child is sometimes the most important thing or one of the most important things that we experience in our lives. And today we're going to look at the birth of Samuel. Samuel is a child of joy. And he points us to Jesus because joy is also something we find in Jesus. You know, we... We saw our first week, we live better lives if we have hope. Jesus is the only son named by God for salvation. So it's in him I put my faith. Now, aren't there other things or people I could put my hope in? Sure. Honestly, there is. But I'd say none of them are as good as the son of God so that I could have joy. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bibles there, we're going to start 1 Samuel 1, verse 1 through 9. Actually, verse 1 through 5. It says, There was a man from Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Ehu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraim, Ephraimite. He had two wives. The first name Hannah, and the second name Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of the armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Peniah and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. These are people who kept the law. But we're going to see, in order to have joy, the law is not enough. The law is not enough. This man, he's from the family of the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim is one of the sons of Joseph, who saved the people from, from starving. So he's from a, a, a good tribe, and he has two wives. That's allowable by the law, and sometimes necessary for 
for a family to have children. In this case, it's actually implied as part of the covenant that it's expected for families to have children. Because you're supposed to teach your children the covenant. And so he has married Hannah, but she doesn't have any, she can't have any children at this time, so he takes a second wife, and Paniah, the second wife, has, has children, sons and daughters. So again, he's following the law. Elkanah also went up at the prescribed times of the year to the tabernacle at Shiloh to offer sacrifices. Now there was always sacrifices that needed to be offered for, for sin and for different things, but certain times of the year it was required that at least the men go up to the tabernacle and offer sacrifices. And Elkanah didn't just do this, he brought his whole family. So he's not following the bare minimum of, of the law, he's He's bringing his whole family, and he doesn't just make sacrifices on their behalf. Like, well, here's a bull for my family. He gives, you know, that's kind of what Job did. Job 1, 5. Speaking of Job, he says, Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So Job, as the head of the family, he offers sacrifices for his kids. Elkanah offers sacrifices for himself and gives sacrifices for his kids. You make your own sacrifice. He's teaching them to do it on their own. He's following Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 where God commands, these words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He's, he doesn't just bring his family to church. He has his wives and children participate, his sons and his daughters. I'm making a sacrifice to the Lord for my sins. You make a sacrifice to the Lord for your sins. This is a religious family. They are following the law of the Lord and the customs of their culture, but yet we'll see they are not joyful. I remember as a kid, we played a lot of board games. I was the youngest, so I lost quite a bit. It was fun being with family. It was not fun losing. But I remember there's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where... Uh, an alien comes on board that is super smart at strategy. And they have this game, appropriately called Stratagema. It's like Risk, only Star Trek version. And so Data, the android, the smartest person on the ship, wants to play this alien in a game of Stratagema. And Data loses. And he can't figure it out. He says, I followed all the rules, and I'm smarter I must be broken because I shouldn't have lost. And finally, the captain at some point tells him, Data, it's possible to make no mistakes and still lose. Sometimes in a game, it's, it's a matter of luck. Who rolled double sixes? And who rolled 2-1? But in life, it's something else. See, 
Just because we follow all the rules doesn't mean we get the happiness at the end. Look at, we're going to have up on the board, Matthew 19, 16 through 21. It says, just then someone came up and asked him, asking Jesus, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all those, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Here's this man, he's approached Jesus about eternal life. And Jesus asked him, well, have you kept the law? Have you followed all the rules? And to the best of this man's knowledge, he says, yes, I have. I've done all the rules. I've kept the law. And Jesus tells him there's more to do than just keeping the law. This man has been keeping the law, and yet he still has no confidence that he has eternal life. Where's his joy? Where's hope? He's kept all the laws, but he's still asking Jesus, I don't think I've got it. In fact, it's the law that's revealed to him that he doesn't yet have eternal life. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 3.20. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the works comes through the law. This guy's been doing all the law and it's just been making him more depressed. Galatians 2.16 And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. The law is not enough. That's why Jesus, in, in the end, talking to that man, he says, what the final thing you have to do is you have to follow me. <laughs> See, I can be doing all the right things. I could follow all the rules so that I'm heading toward that future that I hope for but it doesn't mean that I'm happy or have joy. Now, here's the thing. If I'm doing all the right things that Jesus asked me to do, I'm far more likely to be on the right track to finding joy. If I'm, but following a righteous path does not equal joy. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to start, but it's not the finish line. It's not enough. There's, there's satisfaction in doing the right thing. There is freedom in doing the right thing. There is even blessing from God in doing the right things. But to have joy in doing the right things, I need something else. So let's go back to Samuel. 1 Samuel 1, starting in verse 4. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, 
Peninnah and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her, because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying, her husband would ask. Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why don't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. The law is not enough. And here's something else that surprisingly is not enough. Love is not enough. Elkanah loves his wife, Hannah. She's his first wife. He's the, she's the one that he wanted to marry. And he gives her a double portion of sacrifice as if she had a child, even though she doesn't, because he loves her. Now, Elkanah also loves his other wife and his children. He gives them sacrifices as well. But here's where the lack of joy creeps in. Peniah taunts Hannah. And Hannah is so grieved that as they come to the temple, the place of worship of God, she cries and doesn't eat. Imagine every time you came to church, it was your most grievous time of, of the year when you come to church. That's, that's her worship of God. They come to worship as a family and she, she, she cries so much and she's so grieved she can't even eat. But, as I said, Alkanah still loves her. He says, even if you had ten sons, I couldn't love you any more than I do right now. And at least those words, at least that time, gets her to eat at least part of the sacrifice meal. Because it says she eats. But then she wanders off by herself in the tabernacle to go pray in her grief to the Lord. There's rivalry in this household for sure. But there's also a lot of love. But there's no joy. Even Paniah is not necessarily taking joy in her children. She's just using them as a weapon against her rival. Now don't get me wrong. Love is foundational. Love is foundational for a family. It's foundational for marriage relationship. It's foundational for parent-child relationship. It's foundational for our relationship with God. Love is important. Jesus said love is important. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, verses tw- starting at verse 28. Again, somebody's approaching Jesus and has a question. One of the scribes approached When he heard them debating and saw Jesus answer them well, he asked them, Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. 
and no one dared to question him any longer. Another crazy story with Jesus. And this other man approaches Jesus, and he and Jesus agree together that loving God, the one true God, and loving people is the fulfillment of all the law of God. Love is, is it. That's the most important rule there is. This scribe, Jesus says, is incredibly insightful and correct. He understands the law of God. And Jesus tells him, you're pretty close to having eternal life. Not that you have it. You know, maybe the first guy kept the law without love. But this second guy knows that love is keeping the law. You'd think he'd have it, but Jesus says, you're not quite there yet. Love's not enough. At least not to experience joy. You know, I can experience love, the feelings, the actions of love, the giving of it, and the receiving of it. I could have family love, I could have friendship love, I could have romantic love, but it doesn't mean I'm happy or have joy. Now, just as it with following the law, if I'm loving as Jesus asked me to love, I'm far more likely to be on the right track to finding joy. I'm close to the kingdom of God. But love does not equal joy. Just as there's satisfaction and freedom in doing the right things and blessing in doing the right things, but to have joy in doing the right things, we need something else. Love goes to the motivation for everything that, that I do, but I still need something else to have joy. And that something else begins with the love of God, because that's the motivation for everything he does. They need something else. First Samuel 1, starting in verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord, and after afterward they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence to stay there permanently. Her husband, Elkanah, replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. There, Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked, for, asked him for, I now give this boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. Let's go ahead and go into chapter 2. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. 
and there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire excuse me, those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol. He raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will be thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. This is a woman now full of joy. What's necessary? If the law is not enough and love is not enough, life is necessary. Life is necessary. Hannah gets pregnant and she has a son and everything changes now that there's life. She doesn't go up to the tabernacle to make a sacrifice. Well, wait. He's a son. He's supposed to go to the tabernacle and make a sacrifice. That's the law. But they don't follow the law. And her husband says, that's okay. She and her husband still have joy, even though they're not strictly following the law. When Samuel is old enough, she gives him impermanent service to the Lord. Now, the people who are in service to the Lord are supposed to be the Levites. Elkanah is not a Levite. He's from Ephraim. They're not following the law. And in giving him to the Lord's service, permanent service to the Lord, they're not going to see him very often. Certainly not every day. They still love him. And yet, even though they are given their son in service to the Lord, they still have joy. So Hannah gives this song and this prayer. She's rejoicing to the Lord from her innermost being. She feels like a victorious queen as she gives her son over to the Lord. She knows she has salvation. She knows there is no God like her God. There is no one of equal or greater knowledge. There is no one of equal or greater strength. There is no one of equal or greater saving power than the God she has prayed to to bring life. Among the things she says, the childless woman can find joy in God. The woman, whereas the woman with many children, has no joy without God. Those with no strength, no power, no riches, no food, still have joy with God. But those who are born noble, born rich, born powerful, they die without God. 
Think of you know, John chapter 11. Jesus hears that Lazarus, his friend, is sick, close to dying. As far as we know, Lazarus was a good man, followed the law. He was loved by Jesus and his sisters. It specifically said that these people loved him. So what's the problem? He's dead. He has no life. Only the living can follow the law. Only the living can love. So only the living have joy. That's why life is necessary. Now, I remember I grew up in California, Northern California, and one of the things I remember is because we lived there, we didn't always do the touristy things. You know, when someone came to visit and they'd want to do something touristy, then we'd go do it. But I lived there for years before I ever went across the Golden Gate Bridge because you could get to San Francisco over the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge and it was cheaper. So why go across the Golden Gate Bridge and pay more? I didn't go to Alcatraz until I was married. Just hadn't done it. I was living there, but I wasn't really living. Just curious, how many people here have yet to see St. Paul's Cathedral? I haven't seen it yet. Anybody besides, have you been to the big green chair? Anybody know what that is? It's in a park, and it's a big, giant green chair. It's on Google Maps. It's something that Jennifer and I did when we first got here. What is the big green chair? It's pretty cool. It's just a big, giant green chair you can take a picture in. Anybody not yet gone across the new bridge to Wisconsin? I've done that. It's a nice bridge. Worth a drive across and maybe a walk across when it's not like this outside. <laughs> Have you taken a boat ride on the St. Croix River? There's a lot of things to do here. Sometimes we live in a place, but we don't actually like live. I haven't seen the state capitol yet either. Been here seven years. Sometimes we exist in a place or we exist in life or we exist in church and we aren't really actually experiencing the life. Thus, we don't experience the joy. Maybe we're just following the rules. I come to church at 10 because that's what time church starts. And then I leave at 11 because that's when church is over. Maybe we're even feeling the love. People care for me and pray for me when I'm sick. But are we really living? Hebrews 12.2 says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus just didn't exist on the earth. He lived a life with joy. 
even though that joy was leading him to the cross. He saw that work of God as a joyous thing, because in the end it was going to lead to salvation of all who believe on him, and he'd be seated at the right hand of God. Jesus also said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the life. In Galatians 3.11, For now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous live by faith. We don't live by the law. We don't live by love. We live by faith in Christ. That's what we need. See, righteous laws are for the living. Corpses are neither obedient nor disobedient. Love is for the living. Because corpses don't love or not love. The law is not enough, and even love is not enough. But living brings joy to law and love. It's the same as the story, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Scrooge is existing in his world. He has rules he follows. He has something he loves. Money. But he finds out he's not really living. And he doesn't have joy until he starts really living his life. But life doesn't come through three ghosts. Life comes through Jesus. Ephesians 2 Paul writes, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. If we want to have joy, we've got to live. Joy is for the living. And here's the cool thing. It's Jesus who gives me life. And it's also Jesus who gives me love. And it's Jesus who also gives me the guidance that I need to live. Let's pray. From Psalm 146. When a person's breath leaves him, he returns to the ground, and on that day his plans die. But happy is the one whose help is the God of Israel, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the creator of everything. He is faithful forever. He is just And he gives food to the hungry. Our God frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. He protects the foreigner. Helps the orphan and the widow. 
and frustrates the ways of the wicked. Jesus, all those things are fulfilled in you. All those hopes of who God is, Jesus, you are and you did. Today I put my faith in you, knowing that the life that you give is a life of great joy. And that life you give allows me to walk as you walked and to love as you love. We anticipate your return when this life of joy will be expressed so fully throughout the world. In the meantime, Lord, strengthen us by your spirit to spread your joy to every person we come in contact with so that they too can live. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our life. Amen.